in a way i suppose i'm i'm a product of the tory government i'm a monster of their own making <laughs> um <laughs> But, you know, I'm far from alone. And there's a lot of people out there like me. And as a collective, you find that there's strength and an organization within those groups. I became part of various Twitter campaigns, which trended nationally and even globally once or twice. So hello and welcome to another episode of Chatter. Today I'm talking to Damo Damien, uh, who is an unpaid carer, a Labour member and political uh, politics mouthpiece, a blogger, vlogger, commentator and interviewer, presenter at Socialist Telly and writer for CE Voices, Council Estate Voices. Damo, welcome to the show. Do you prefer Damo or Damien? Uh, well, Damien's fine, Damo, whichever. I've Damon. been called so much worse since I started doing what I'm doing. So, uh, yeah, you can't. Damien's fine. Okay. <laughs> Damo is just a persona. Damien is who I am sort of mm. thing, yeah. Fair enough. I always had it as Damo, not Demo. In my a lot head. of people pronounce it that way as well. I've never... I've, I've, each to their own, I suppose. But, yeah, yeah, Damien is what it stands for, essentially, so... Yeah, I mean, I was talking to my fr uh, my friends about the interview a few days ago, and they were like, yeah, is, is that not like an Australian signed in nickname is and i was like is that is that what it's short for uh, so <laughs> we had quite a lot it's a lot of speculation and i got your email it was damien i was like that's where it is <laughs> well i well, was it got my mother came up with this you know my, my parents called me what they called me obviously but uh they, so they sort of had this idea in mind that to have a name that couldn't be shortened or abbreviated and as soon as i started work did my apprenticeship down the dockyard they soon uh, shortened it to that and it's it's kind of stuck ever since mm, so, Okay, so well, before we get started with the questions, I have to plug two things. First of all, my book, Brexit, The Establishment Civil War, is now available to buy. You can get it on Amazon or bookshop.org or on Waterstones as well. It's basically a story about how social media is destroying politics. So if anyone is concerned about that, please uh, check it out. The links are in the description below. And thanks to our sponsor, ExpressVPN. Right now, if you follow uh, the link in the description below, you can get 35% off 12 months of ExpressVPN. So we're here to talk about socialist telly, about British politics, about the Labour Party. So why don't you just start by giving us like an idea of, of your first like memory of, of maybe not exactly politics, but when you realised like the power of, of politics in, in all of our lives? Yeah, um, a few years ago now, I was I was asked by the organisers of the World Transformed Festival if I'd talk about what they referred to as uh, a political education. It was the theme that they were running with that year, and it did require a bit of thought, actually. Uh, and when it came down to it, I realised that it really does start when you're quite young. Um, and for me, one of my earliest memories was hiding behind the sofa with my mum with the telly off because the milkman was knocking for his money and we didn't have it. Um, it's not an uncommon memory, as it turns out, amongst people of my general age group. I interviewed the former MP Laura Smith and related this story to her. And one of her earliest memories was was quite similar. Uh, in her case, it was the Provy woman um, coming knocking. But all the neighbours uh, in solidarity would warn each other she was coming because they all owed, owed her money. So uh, they were all hiding from her. Um, so, you know, it was solidarity being taught early on, but um, you, you, you don't really, obviously, you don't appreciate it at the time when you're a child. And, you know, I grew up through the Thatcher years. I was a, a winter of discontent baby. I've 
described myself before. I often cite this as a reason for being so discontentious now. Um, but, I, you know, I grew up in an anti-Tory household fundamentally because life was hard. My dad lost his job as a, a foreman in a, in a factory. He went on to become a postman. Um, but we had it drummed into us to appreciate the little that we had. We were always fed. We, were, we had a roof over our heads. But, you know, growing up, getting married during the Blair years, having a family where three boys were all born with complex forms of cleft lip and palate. And my daughter was born with spina bifida. And later on, my wife developed an appalling condition called fibromyalgia. I ended up having to give up work. Uh, my trade is in fabrication and welding for your apprenticeship serve. So, you know, good trade, decent money for, for West Cornwall to, to rely on support as a full-time carer then of a family with an, a whole array of different needs. I mean, there was support there. I, I, you know, I'm a Labour member now. I had no love for Blair or Labour back then. But we were looked after. We were supported. And once the Tories got back in, well, we soon find out, like so many families with long-term sick and disabled people in them, what it feels like to actually be persecuted effectively. And I suppose that's, the, that's when I became politicised or radicalised. That's when I decided I need to do more than just take this on the chin. I need to speak out a bit. Mm. So it was around that sort of 2010, 2012 sort of era that you like just just probably as as Facebook and Twitter were becoming like a big part of, of politics, you would say is the, the time you became like really involved. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly started with with Facebook. I think that's generally the one that people start most of. But Twitter was the one that I soon developed a more of an affinity for. Um, and it, it wasn't so much with any idea of campaigning or protesting or anything like that in mind to start with. I just you know, you're stuck within between four walls as a, as a carer, you just need some sort of a, an outlet. And that, you know, social media became it, I was able to uh, vent my frustrations. And Twitter was full of people like me venting their spleens, having their say and sharing their experiences. And it felt good to share good to talk, essentially. Um, words can only carry you so far. And I soon discovered that when it comes to Twitter, if you really want to get your, your stuff noticed, then a picture paints a 1000 words. And wanting other people to see my stuff, to interact with, to have more people to speak to. And, um, you know, the vast majority of the time, you, as I said, you're, you're stuck at home. You don't have that human interaction. So although it was through a social media platform, it did offer that. Uh, and I found that beneficial. There was catharsis in it. Um, so to that end, I, I started making uh, memes, you know, the little pictures with some caustic comment about what some awful politician of the day was doing or saying. And uh, some of the connections made with other people through through doing that was um, led to groups being formed. I became involved in several of these. And we got to the time around 2015. It was around that time Corbyn was elected to lead Labour that I became less acerbic, I guess, and more campaign orientated. There was some there was there was positivity to talk about at last. And again, that influence was borne out from those around me all coming to similar conclusions and you know here's somebody different here's somebody who the normal politicians and the media seem to be afraid of we need to support this guy he's the key to change he offered it so as far as actual campaigning went along with joining a political party for the first time in my life i joined labor around that time uh, i even served for three years on my local clp's executive as a disability officer so campaigning eventually evolved from a, a need to express my frustrations at how the government of the day treated you. And it, it kind of just came about organically from that. In a way, I suppose I'm, I'm a product of the Tory government. I'm a monster of their own making. <laughs>
Um, <laughs> but, you know, I'm far from alone. And there's a lot of people out there like me. And as a collective, you find that there's strength and an organization within those groups. I became part of various Twitter campaigns, which trended nationally and even globally once or twice. Uh, you know, but fundamentally, when you're a carer, you're not supposed to be the one that gets health issues and health problems yourself. It's not supposed to be the one that's directly affected. You're the one to look after somebody else who is. And things like brown envelopes from the DWP, they'd even make me panic. They affect my health and I'm the carer, not even the person who's actually sick. When your government's solution to that, as they've announced recently, is to just change the color of the envelope, people need to challenge that kind of thinking, that kind of government, because they're clearly not interested in you. And to campaign against that is has become more important than ever. And I'll continue to do that, albeit in a more organized way now than perhaps I once did. Mm. Now, there's a couple of things you said there that I'd really love to get into. I want to talk to, about your your kind of use of, of memes, but there's stuff I want to get to on social media later on. So I'll kind of leave that for now. But um, you, you mentioned the, 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 the kind of inadequacy of, of, of the welfare state to an extent there and the kind of... I don't want to say bastardization of the DWP by by the Tories, but I mean I feel like that 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 seems fairly appropriate given the the, the way in which they've they've used its power to, oh, yeah, commit a campaign of of what a lot of people have called abuse against um, disabled and vulnerable people. But like one of the, one of the key themes of of like your 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 campaign and and a, and a lot of the Jeremy Corbyn's campaign and a lot of people in momentum has been that that. That the welfare state and the safety net that we now have is is not adequate it doesn't function as it's supposed to it doesn't provide people security it's not there to help people really it's there to to provide the very most basic of of like yeah services or 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 if even that like do you do you think there was ever a time when our welfare state was adequate and and when did that kind of go away as, as uh, in your understanding it's never been generous, um, but it used to be that it was sufficient to get by on. As somebody who's been a carer since before the Tory regime, we now under came in, we were looked after. If you were disabled and the then Labour government, for all that people may think of Blair and Brown, they at least treated you like a human being and entitled you to a civilised existence. Well, the only thing you had to worry about was the people that you actually care for. The global financial crisis in 2008 was used by the Tories as an excuse to set fire to all that when they came in in 2010. Austerity was the only way, they said. It's all Labour's fault, they re said repeatedly, as if a global financial crisis could be caused by a British political party. But sadly, there were no narratives, no outlets like the things I'm involved in now to challenge the right-wing spin back then. Families like mine, who were once supported, ended up being referred to as shirkers or skivers and became an early target for cuts. Of course, we, we've learned since that austerity was a complete lie. It was never about paying off debt or getting the deficit down because the wealthy in this country became substantially richer during that time, whilst the poorest, including the long-term sick and disabled, became poorer. And Ian Duncan Smith oversaw reforms to the benefit system that have led to the deaths of thousands. And thousands more end up having to rely on charitable, charitable efforts to sustain them. I mean, the obvious uh, example of that is the rise of food banks. It's, it's often pointed to that food banks started under labour by anybody who dares to uh, label the blame at the, the Tories doorstep about this. 
but they were actually started by the church originally to support asylum seekers who, despite the claims of the right-wing papers at the time, were not entitled to benefits the moment they arrived. These places were never intended to be used by the British public, by you know, UK citizens, yet here we are today with even people in work now having to use them. This is a Tory-inflicted crisis, and life hasn't just become harder for those reliant on social security, let's call it what it is after all, but it's a safety net that the Tories have made bigger and bigger holes in. So more people fall through it. It's an inhuman way to treat people in a country where the money is there to do better and otherwise. And it is a political choice to be this cruel. And I can't believe that many people who vote Tory do so knowingly when they act like this. To many, sadly, I think they just still believe what they read in the papers or what they saw on the BBC News. Mm. I mean, there's, there's the... Personally, I feel like a lot of people vote Tory without... Without that as a major consideration, um, I, I kind of like to give people at least some benefit of the doubt and believe that that they are voting based on the issue that that affects them most or that they feel is most important. And that once, like that, whilst we might see something as being the most important issue, and and you quite arguably it, it looking after the most vulnerable is is one of the, the the most crucial things you can do in a in a civilized and developed nation um i feel like there's a it's this this i don't want to call it the fake culture war but like we kind of we kind of seem to be in this position where where people on the right and the left will become stirred up over really fringe tiny little things instead of looking at these these big picture issues about like how we treat the vulnerable and out of work and disabled uh, and instead we're caught up talking about free speech on on campus that isn't under threat and probably won't be do, do, do you get what i mean um well sure everybody votes for a different party based on different policies that are being put forward there's different reasonings for it but when it comes to the conservatives they Let's, let's look at their previous manifestos. Hmm. They have not kept to the pledges that they've made to the British public whatsoever. But the, despite that, it will get the, the, the news, the media outlets, which are predominantly right wing in this country, will spin it in their favour. And people will always be left with a favourable impression of that party over another. I mean, it's, it's an ongoing sick joke, frankly, that Rupert Murdoch brags every single time it's an election that, you know, it's the sun what won it kind mm. of headlines that, you know, who we backed is, is who you chose. Well done. And he's done that since, you know, 1979, essentially, I bet the, you know, just after I was born. Mm. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's, it's a media narrative that needs challenging and also politically these pledges that are made need to be challenged when they are not met. And too often these, these promises that people vote for parties on don't get kept. And there's no repercussions for that. Um, I, I appreciate that it can be something of a, a thorny issue to say that manifesto pledges have to be honored and that needs to be enforced. But truthfully, there needs to be some sort of way of you know, meeting it halfway, perhaps, so, you know, if you don't keep your promises, it needs to be made clear that they have not done this, that they've gone back on this, and it's not reported nearly enough. 
I mean, I would I would say that that's probably the job of the press to do, um, and that like recourse that we have is the ballot box, um, and yeah, the 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 press being a serious issue. Um, I want to get on to something you mentioned there as well is that the the Tories came in and used austerity as um, a, as a justification to make serious cuts to to the welfare state, to public services, um, and to public spending as well. There, it's it's something actually I talked about in in my book. Uh, I said that I predicted at least two years ago when I started writing it that we would be approaching some sort of crisis that the Johnson government would attempt to use to make further cuts to to the the welfare state to sell off um, our state assets and to to further privatize as much of the of the British state as possible. Do you? Are you concerned that that might be what happens now post-COVID? Well, we're not exactly post-COVID yet, are we? But we're already seeing these, yeah, some some pretty pernicious, onerous uh, actions coming out from uh, from the Johnson government, and some of that is due to, uh, as I'm, I'm sure you were no doubt aware, having written a book on it, um, coming out of uh, Brexit as well. Um, yeah, we have uh, just recently seen the, the the protests that we've had in in Bristol and also Clapton Common, and they've had these uh, the legislation that they've wanted to pass to to uh, do away with protests, for example, and assault on our civil rights, and assault on freedom of speech and freedom of expression, and that absolutely has to be stood against and called out. And certainly, we have been. I've I've been. Doing doing that through my my social media and it's a subject that's come up numerous times on socialist telly as well um you know you, you can't take it lying down and especially when you're in a political situation made all the more dangerous by the fact that the opposition is not opposing it's too often in agreement and in tangent you know walking in lockstep with with the direction the government's taking it, it makes it a pretty dangerous pretty shaky place for uh for people to 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 live in this in the uk under this kind of an atmosphere mm. are you given any hope by the level of response to the the suggest the kind of um even suggestion that our right to protest and our, our freedom of speech was was under threat with this policing bill um i was i was given like a minuscule amount of hope that um for once, for like the first time in I don't know how long, it seemed that the left and the right in Britain were on the same side of an issue, um, whether they might disagree about a few little details of, of why the issue came up. Um, they, they were, we were all for a, a brief moment united um, in thinking that, you know, we got to like shut down this this challenge to the right to protest. Yeah, yeah, it's it affects all wings of the party. It doesn't matter which uh, part of the political spectrum you you sit on. Everybody goes out and protests about something for you know for left wing issues, for right wing issues, for issues I would agree with, for issues I would vociferously disagree with. But the right to protest is there, and yes, it 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 has given me a lot of hope that across the country there were pockets of resistance coming up everywhere and obviously most uh, notably in the news was uh, what was going on in Bristol uh, those uh, the, the, the few nights that were things were happening down there and it was questionable as to where the the blame was actually lying um, especially in light of what had happened to Clapham Common shortly before um, where the police had uh, waded in uh, far too heavily handed and 
you know, that first night in Bristol when you saw the, the riot van on fire and the, the police station being attacked, it was very hard to say, well, this is a both sides argument. And, you know, obviously, you know, clearly things are happening in Bristol where the, the aggressors are coming from the protesters. And obviously that was something the, me the media was able to latch onto quite readily. And the Conservative Party was um, was was as well. And the images and the the, the media were putting out where where we were fearing playing right into the hands of those who wanted to shut down protest. Mm. But actually, you know, it, it went on a few more nights, and actually, you see more and more amateur video footage of people who were actually there and seeing what was happening. And it was not as clear cut as all of that at all. Mm. And again, we saw some quite heavy handed behaviour. From the police, I mean, they they were uh, pushing um, journalists around. National Union of Journalists in one video. I've seen another video just today of uh, a young woman who'd been battered with a riot shield. Oh wow! Um, Could you send me that, and I'll stick that in the description for people. But um, it was, it was, um, yeah, quite, quite. There, there are, there are, um, yeah. It's, 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 it's not as clear cut as all that, hmm. and. The right to protest has to uh, has to be preserved. We have to continue to have our our freedom of speech and our freedom of expression, and we have to be allowed to do that peacefully without fear of being attacked. I mean, some of the video footage was of people on their hands and knees shouting peaceful protest, and yet the police were still standing over them or pushing them forwards. Mm. Um, it, it, it's it's building increasing distrust in the police that they're there to protect us and uphold our, our civil rights when actually the opposite is being demonstrated across amateur video, across social media. And it's worrying scenes because they have to answer to that. They can't, you know, okay, we can look at video footage like that and it can be taken quite easily out of context, but we have to know what the, what the crack actually is, mm. what the truth behind it is. The investigation has to be done and it has to be thorough and it has to be independent. And if the police have questions to answer after that, then they need to answer that because they're not going to win the trust of the public back without that. No, definitely not. I, I guess it's um, it's a. I think the police are in a precarious position when um, both the left and the right are becoming heavily critical of of their actions. It's uh, they yeah. I think they they've got to do something to regain some trust. I don't know exactly what that's going to be, but um, I definitely agree on that. Uh, so you, you mentioned earlier about challenge, like we have to find ways of challenging the right wing spin. Um, and that, that kind of brings us quite nicely on the socialist telly, which you were very sort of astutely pointing out these sorts of independent left wing um, outlets or any sort of like independent alternate uh, alternative outlets were, weren't really a thing in Britain until about five or six years ago. That's when they yeah, really started to, yeah, to, to, to I mean, pop up. Some of them are a little bit older than that, but most of them have popped up fairly recently. And mm. I think the, the Canary, for example, has been going a lot longer since then, mm. uh, which is an excellent outlet. And more and more of them have popped up. Some really brilliant writers, some excellent journalists, some excellent investigation stuff. And mm. as far as Socialist Telly came about and my involvement with that, it's sort of, well, after you know the memes that I mentioned earlier on, after that came the videos. Um, it was a discussion in a group on Twitter that it was something that nobody on the left really did. Not everyone was comfortable with the idea of doing it, putting their faces out there, so to speak. But I just said, sod it, I'll just give it a go. <laughs> and um, my, my demo rants were born. I can't remember who came up with the name for that. It wasn't <laughs> me, but uh, it's kind of stuck. And I just started making them on my phone. They proved 
remarkably popular, which I found really quite weird. Um, and sure, some I came in for a bit of flack. The trolls will troll. I had a fairly well-known falling out with a left-wing journalist who decided he didn't like them. Um, but for the most part, they that? were incredibly. Who was that? Oh, so it's young, young, young Owen Jones. That was. Um, he fell out but... with Owen Jones. That's interesting. I, just a. <laughs> It's a minor falling out. I made another video and uh, I got blocked soon after that. Um, but yeah, I was perfectly polite and civil. I was perfectly polite and civilized to him, but um, yeah, he uh, he he didn't didn't reciprocate that. Um, but for the for the most part, they've been incredibly well received to the to the point that out of the blue, I was asked one day if I'd like to conduct an interview, and it was to be with Howard Beckett, one of the assistant general secretaries of Unite the Union. Howard at that point was seeking the endorsement of United Left, which is the left-wing organization within Unite, to be their chosen candidate to be general secretary when Len McCluskey steps down. I figured it would be a nice little pre-recorded event. They treat us with kid gloves. I'd never done an interview before. Howard, I don't think, had ever been interviewed before that. Uh, so we were both pretty nervous. And then I found out it was going to be live. Um, but we did it. We uh, we had great fun, and that led eventually to my involvement in Socialist Telly, um, which I, where I've continued to do interviews with people from well, Labour MPs to trade unionists to organisations representing groups of people that are not talked about enough, which is uh, the ones I like doing the most, essentially, because they, they deserve to have that platform. And Socialist Tally, if not for this pandemic, actually, I don't think would ever have come into being. It's it's only since we've all had to embrace Zoom or something similar um, <laughs> through that medium that we've built up what is essentially a left-wing broadcaster. Uh, it's more than just a single outlet. It's an assembly of outlets. Uh, aside from myself and my so show, which goes out on a Sunday night, we've got shows going out every day of the week now, practically, on all manner of subjects. Some brilliant co-hosts from Squawk Box's Steve Walker to former Labour PPCs such as Bonnie Craven and Jennifer Forbes. Labour Black Socialists have a weekly show. Educate, Agitate, Organise have a weekly show. Others in the Labour movement have their own shows like Ben Sellers and even Howard Beckett himself has turned presenter now and again for a, a strike TV show where he's covering the events that are happening within the trade union movement from one week to another. We've created a bit of a monster in Howard since, evidently. <laughs> um, we've got we've got more shows coming soon. Uh, and that's not forgetting, of course, that we all get together once a week to go on one show together, to go over the week's news and talk over the stories that the mainstream either miss or, or spin out of context. Uh, we've only been going since November. So the rate of growth and the audience figures we're getting have been phenomenal. And we all do it because we all appreciate the importance of challenging that mainstream media spin, predominantly right-wing spin, and to spell things out in a straight-talking way. Mm. I couldn't do it any other way. The, the way I'm speaking to you now, the way I present on my show, it, it is how I am. There's no frills, no fuss. I'm not a journalist. I'm a welder. Um, <laughs> not, yeah, uh, no, uh, I'm, I'm not. I'm not laughing. At it. It's just, it just sounds great when you put it like that. <laughs> it, it, I'm just an, an, an average bloke who's come from an average trade and have ended up in this situation. God knows how, quite frankly. But I've run with it. I've gone with it, and and people seem to enjoy listening to it. And not one of us get paid to do this either. There's no money involved in socialist telly whatsoever, yet we deliver week on week and we will continue to do so. It's a huge privilege to be involved with this uh, this this broadcast and the people that I'm now working with. Brilliant. When is the weekly show for people listening here? 
the weekly show. The weekly show happens essentially when we get together to do it. Um, Because obviously we all have our own lives and we all have uh, different things going on. It we tend to film it around the red towards the end of the week, so it usually gets sort of recorded on a Friday, out on a Saturday, optimistically, sometimes a little bit later. But all our shows are available on the Socialist Telly, uh, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube channels, and they can all be caught up with after the event anyway. So they're always there in case people miss it. Fair. So how impactful do you think this like uh, ecosystem of left-wing media has been or is still? So because there was, there was a lot of talk in around, uh, sorry, 2015, 2016, 2017 about you know how how much impact was this this new sort of independent like wing of the media gonna gonna have and then there was a lot of talk post the 2017 election that that this this sort of group of 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 outlets had had like a huge impact on on Jeremy Corbyn's success like how how much impact do you think that that these sites or you know like things like socialist telly the canary evolve politics um i guess you could maybe go as far as saying um byline times um perhaps uh the squawk box there's 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 loads of them uh how 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 much impact do you think they have on on like the the general political conversation in britain versus perhaps just like the 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 left-wing echo chamber like how much impact do you think you're having outside of of your groups of people it's it's funny the one thing i'll say on that but first before i talk about the the, the outlets themselves is about the uh, influence that twitter itself has on that discourse all the mainstream journalists all congregate on twitter they all love twitter because when mm. news breaks it breaks there first because the very nature of the platform is that things break quite quickly on there and they can also get their own opinions and uh, breaking news out quickly on twitter as well Twitter has a, uh, it seems to influence the conversation, it influences the discourse. And of course, it's, it's a little surprise that a lot of these uh, left wing media outlets have sprung up from Twitter in one way or another, or have significant followings on Twitter, because it, it as I said, it just lends itself naturally to that kind of format. Um, as far as the influences, is gained with these i can't speak for every outlet though i suspect it's similar we do get discussed during the political discourse conversations are had we are sought out to be able to uh for, for people who are interested in embracing what what we have to offer uh they come to us and they speak about it um i've had the pleasure of interviewing as i said numerous labor mps on my show on socialist telly because they wanted to come on and speak to me i've spoken to ian lavery john trickett claudia webb um you know, people from corbyn's era in his time when he was leader i was the first person to enormous privilege actually the very first person to ever interview carrie murphy who was regarded as uh, Corbyn's firewall. And uh, yeah, her first ever uh, interview, she uh, she came on my show to speak to me, uh, which was a massive honor. And you know, we, we obviously we can we can see who watches our programming and who's watching us. And I'm not obviously that's not something I want to go into, but we're being watched by individuals who clearly take a significant interest 
in what we're saying and these are individuals who have a stake in shaping the political discourse of this country so if what we're saying matches so much to them that they're paying attention to us and obviously they're engaging with us and they're engaging with other platforms as well offering interviews writing pieces um even conducting their own podcasts i don't know if you've come across the no holding back podcasts that ian lavery john trickett and laura smith uh, present that they are absolutely brilliant and it's it's it is no holding back and it is them just being able to talk normally and shrug off the uh the 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 the, the, the needs to be to play nice and play polite all the time and just be themselves a little bit and speak about things in their own terms and these are a fantastic proper working class labor representatives too and we need more voices like theirs and mm you know if they're coming on to speak to us they're engaging with us and we're also on the radar of those who ne don't necessarily want to engage with us but still regard us as important enough to pay attention to what we're saying then clearly we're having an influence there mm. i mean you mentioned the influence of twitter there on 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 shaping the discourse and and the, the amount that that journalists uh, love twitter i mean i can't i can't pretend like i i don't i have since i've recently ditched uh, instagram and facebook and i'm basically just uh, deciding to post my stuff only on twitter uh, because uh well yeah i just i'm trying i'm trying to cut down because i i'm not a fan of social media generally i mean half my book was about how it's destroying politics so i'm trying to get off it but then, um, but the, the problem is um, when you're in like, or uh, when you're trying to do things like us, where you're talking about uh, when you're doing your things on socialist telly or on uh, demo rants, or you're just posting, uh, you're trying to raise awareness around specific topics, whether that's like writing threads or or like just producing memes or just highlighting certain things and and creating like a discussion around different topics like Twitter and, and social media is, is fantastic for that. But at the same time, it, I I feel it's having this horrendously detrimental um, effect on polarization and on our ability to deal in nuance and just talk to each other across like political ideas. Um, do you think on the whole, like social media has, has been like a boon for the left? Or do you think the, the polarization that's come because of it has kind of almost made things more difficult for a for a true like socialist government to get into power in britain there is certainly uh very good things about social media there are very bad things about social media you get no argument from me on that but as far as political discourse and the influence of the left social media has been a, a very useful tool politics for so long was the preserve of people who happened to come from a fairly privileged position even so much within the labor party it's it's become less and less over the years uh the party of of you know working ordinary working people working classes i mentioned john trickett earlier the former brickie ian lavery the former miner there's very few of them in the labor party anymore and the people that have come in have come in from university have predominantly come from a, a a background that most of us do not have. So social media has allowed people you know, like me, I suppose, um, and others to have a say and have an influence and 
be heard and build a platform. Yeah, we've got to work at it. Yeah, we've had to build that platform up. People don't just follow people for the fun of it. You've got to be saying something and doing something that people think are interesting. You've got to pick that up. But once they have, you can get run with it. And then you can certainly uh, influence my you know, thinking. Of course, when, in a normal co context of social media and just making posts, they are just snapshots. They are just your opinion from one moment to another. There's no discussion as such when you come to, to Twitter. I mean, you can state a list of facts in a thread, like you said. You can make a comment in the form of a meme. Um, one of my videos, which have to be you know, because of Twitter's restrictions, you can't be any longer than two minutes and 20 seconds. You can only get so much into that sort of time frame. Mm. So having a platform more akin to a, a media uh, more of a conventional media sense, like Socialist Tally, like my show, um, which, you know, my interviews, which get put through Periscope, uh, through onto Twitter, and obviously Facebook and YouTube as well, and they can go on for, you know, about an hour, um, try not to go longer than that. But they can, you know, you can get a lot in, in that sort of a, a time frame, in that space of time, you can get a lot said, and that becomes a lot more influential. And, you know, you've got um, Council of State Media, which I also write articles for as a blogger, and other fantastic contributors on that as well. It's it becomes a bit of a you know, a, a, a news article source, more of an online newspaper, more akin to something like the Canary or Revolve Politics or, or Squawk Box. Mm. And and then you are you are part of the media. It is in this day and age, it is part of parcel of our media discourse. And it's the only way the left really have a say anymore because we don't have traditional left-wing newspapers in this country, aside from the Morning Star, which has a very, very small circulation compared to mm. the likes of the Times or the Telegraph or what have you else. Mm. I always think there's a there's a bar in Belfast called the Morning Star that a friend of mine used to work in. So anytime any of this gets mentioned, that's just, I go straight there for the cheap pints and the... the... <laughs> um, but like one of the things that's really struck me since... Um, since uh since Keir Starmer became leader of the Labour Party is this idea that like it still doesn't sit well with me I mean I'm not a Labour Party member um when I was starting to really become interested in politics was just around um the time that that Jeremy Corbyn was was essentially becoming becoming leader of the of the Labour Party and um having never been particularly inspired by a politician before I find myself very drawn to the fact he was not the the traditional politician essentially he wasn't tony blair he wasn't david cameron he was just a just seemed like a normal guy like you can agree yeah you can agree or disagree with what he what he wanted to do but he, he genuinely seemed like he had the people's best interests at heart you know whether whether you believe that 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 his ideas were the best way to get to like save people or to like help people that's that's genuinely what what he seemed to want to do and that's what that's what really appealed to, um to me about him personally anyway but it's it's kind of not sat well with me that that the 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 you know the the people's party essentially of britain like the working class party is now headed by someone with the title sir keir starmer um and it kind of feels like we the 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 during the brexit sort of debate from sort of 2016 to to to, to january essentially when we left the idea was that the Labour Party was being held together by Jeremy Corbyn, that there was like the two wings. You had this like liberal wing 
um, uh, like a lot of long, young people, students, whatnot, who were uh, very pro-EU, and you had the the sort of more traditional um, like trade union side of the Labour Party that were perhaps not as big fans of the of the EU, and that there was this these two two factions essentially, and it feels like with Keir Starmer now as leader that 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 sort of liberal sort of untraditional side of, of Labour has 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 kind of won out and it feels like there's almost like they, their existence as an opposition to me seems to be just disappearing like their 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 opposition to anything that the government does um like what is your what are your thoughts on on how Keir Starmer is doing how is Keir Starmer doing as leader mm. Mm. awful <laughs> I mean really really bad he was elected on a platform of unity mm. he was promised to uphold 10 pledges such as economic justice which is the first one on there yet he has opposed tax hikes on the wealthiest mm -hmm. he said he would promote peace and human rights yet he abstained on the covert human intelligence sources bill the spy cops bill which authorized criminal conduct for the likes of under undercover police such as he said he would help to strengthen workers' rights and trade unions, yet has done the opposite, driving the Baker's Union to consider disaffiliation from the party and unite the union to reduce its donations to the party. And the very last pledge, he said, was to provide effective opposition to the Tories. He has abstained repeatedly. He has backed chronic mistakes regarding the government response to the, the pandemic, including twice over backing the early return to the schools for students despite no additional measures being put in place. He has sacked members of his own party from front bench positions for basically being left wing under the guise of risible reasoning, such as retweeting somebody, yet has failed to once ever call for a Tory front bencher to resign. Most notably, you could uh, point the finger at Matt Hancock when the massive levels of corruption in his department's tendering processes were exposed. Mm. He said he didn't want him to resign. He's condemned Black Lives Matter as a moment, denigrating the struggle for equality amongst those communities. He promised not to impose candidates, yet on the first test, the by-election in Hartlepool, this has come to pass. And that's not mentioning the rigging of the Liverpool mayoral selection. Um, he kicked Jeremy Corbyn out of the party despite an investigation exonerating him. He appointed a general secretary who was still only there in an acting capacity, since conference has not yet been held to confirm him in that position, who has embarked on a purge of left-wing members for daring to pass motions expressing solidarity or on subjects the leadership have deemed not competent business despite no such term being described in the party rules and there have been suspensions of officers and clps across the country for allowing such motions and has allowed regional offices to take over with disastrous results and in his latest example of capitulation to the tories he's agreed to back them in appointing commissioners to run liverpool city council for up to three years Despite Labour being the, uh, you know, Liverpool being the most Labour-centric city in the UK, and the Tories barely having a toehold there, all because of allegations of corruption. Now, when you have a government as blatantly corrupt as this one, for them to do such a thing is the height of hypocrisy. Labour will lose Liverpool like it lost Scotland. Backing them in doing this is not only not being an effective opposition, it's being on the same side as them, frankly. All of this and not one policy idea in a year in the job and with local elections on the way, he is easily the weakest, worst Labour leader I've ever witnessed. How's that? Well, that that was a pretty comprehensive <laughs> list of reasons he's not not doing a great job. Um, I will put links to all of the stuff you've mentioned there in the description below if anyone does not believe or wants to read further into anything you've said there. Uh, right, so put on your cynical hat for a minute. 
you know, if you could stop giving the be- him the benefit of the doubt for just like thirty seconds. <laughs> um, Bless you. Yeah. Why? Why is he doing this? Why has he has he just abandoned his promises? Why is he seemingly like kicking dirt in the face of half the party, most of whom are the activists who will theoretically go out or not, perhaps, uh, given what he's done, and campaign for him on the doorstep. He's he's kicking he's kicking mud in the faces of um, the of momentum and everything they stand for, like the people who have been credited not just by the left, but by by a lot of very serious political commentators and uh, analysts as the reason that Jeremy Corbyn did so well um, in getting getting such a high percentage of the vote, regardless of the, the smear campaigns being run against him. So why is Keir Starmer choosing to, to yeah, abandon all of this side of the party? I think if I come back to Jeremy Corbyn for one moment, the biggest mistake Corbyn made was to not be aggressive enough with his constant critics. He sought too hard to make peace, to placate people that didn't want to be placated. And I think Keir Starmer has looked at that and thought, no, I don't want to deal with that. I want to nip things in the bud now. And he has gone on a rampage against the left wing of the party. Labour is a broad church we keep hearing. And there are times, especially under this leadership, where I think it's too broad. Um, we have, uh, it just seems that he's just, from the moment he's come in, he's just gone to war on the left wing of his party to try and turn it into this permanently centrist, stands for nothing, Blairite era type party. And, you know, bringing in Peter Mandelson recently kind of lends credence to that thinking. But the thing, the difference between Starmer and Blair is at least Blair had ideas. I mean, forget the Iraq war side of things for one minute. Uh, tax credits came in under Blair, for example. This is a good idea. It brought lifted people out of poverty. Uh, homelessness was massively reduced. Uh, it was a government that, it, you know, his, his was a party that, although distasteful to a good many people, and certainly run by Starmer's faction of the party, it did have ideas. And it did realise that, you know, you need to uh, lift the, 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 the poorest and most vulnerable up um even if it was only to uh, a certain extent but he still did a lot more than starmer's ever put on the table and made an offer of as i just said a year into the job he has not presented one single policy idea every time the government comes up with an idea he decides yes we'll take a look at that and either ends up backing it or abstaining on it it took i mean look at the the the, the what happened in clapham common just recently mm. uh when the police were blatantly uh, came in and started moving people at a peaceful vigil it wasn't even a a protest or anything like that until that moment happened he was fully prepared to uh abstain again on removing our right to protest it took that action to drag him kicking and screaming to a position of actually opposing um i really can't fathom why a year on and seeing himself sliding in the polls Mm. and having people leaving the party in disgust if they haven't been suspended already why he thinks carrying on in the same vein he's doing is a is is a good plan is a is a is a great great idea Mm. uh he's often ribbed about uh, listening too much to focus groups and i fear he's not stopped listening to them and the focus groups are telling him yeah you're doing great care fantastic carry on and it ain't happening. I think Labour are going to get a walloping in these upcoming local elections that are happening in May. And I think fundamentally, if that is what comes to pass, something has to be done about it, because we cannot continue to have a leader this week 
that offers so little and does not inspire anybody whatsoever. And I think it's probably going to be his own faction, the, the, the right wingers of the party that realize that they're the ones that are going to have to act. I think they're going to see, you know, they want power too. They want, they want to be in government. If they want to be running the party and running the country. That's not going to happen with a leader who continues to slide in the polls mm -hmm. and does not uh, bring people to the, to the table. And so much so is he upsetting people that and, and Labour effectively are abandoning so many communities or communities or people are certainly feeling that they're no longer being spoke, being represented by Labour, that you're seeing parties filling the niche. You've recently got the, the Northern Independence Party, the Nippers, have uh, popped up that are going mm. to uh, are, well, are playing the will they or won't they game at the moment with uh, standing a candidate in Hartlepool. And um, if you're not, if you haven't been following them on Twitter or keeping uh -huh. an eye on those guys on Twitter, you know they they have ideas. They they want to make their presence felt. Mm. And frankly, the longer the Labour continue to not make their presence felt, not offer anything, they're going to gain traction. I mean, I would, I really, really, really hope that the Northern Independence Party leader is called the King in the North. Uh, <laughs> well, the hashtag Free the North has been going around quite, quite, uh, quite a lot. But uh, yeah, if he ends up coming, if he ends up being called Rob Stark, then I will, I will not. <laughs> I literally will. <laughs> I mean, I would consider voting for Rob Stark. Um, you know, he was, he was all, you know, he was, he was trying to take down that Southern elite. You know that. <laughs> Yeah, 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 the parallels are there. The parallels are there. <laughs> so do you see the possibility of the Labour Party splitting? Because there was there there has been talk of this for quite a while, like a number of years. Um and they're having similar talks in, in America in on both sides of the aisle, actually, over there, um, in terms of the Republican Party splitting and the Democratic Party splitting. Do you see that as a possibility in the UK? like in the near future, that we would get another party that will, will either split off from Labour or subsume a large portion of its vote? Well, we saw what happened before in the early 80s when a splinter group split off from Labour, and it led to years and years of Tory rule. And mm. fundamentally, if the Labour Party split, you're looking at years and years of Tory rule. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily a reason to try and hold Labour together. It's just simply the way our political system works in this country and it, it's a rubbish system but that's, a, that's another argument mm. um a party that's so far to the right now that they're trying to to ban our protest and a labor leader meekly saying nothing about it is not bringing the party together it's splitting it and the only people that are particularly happy with labor are those who cannot uh, right now with under Keir Starmer's rule they're going to be those people who aren't quite uh, right-wing enough to want to vote for the Tories or uh, have some semblance of a conscience and can't can't in good conscience back them um but this this sort of tory light labor that we've got again is uh will appeal to those but it will drive away everybody else mm -hmm. and as i said keir starmer is causing such division when he promised unity that any split that happens is going to be down to him um no labor leader worth his soul like i said should have to be dragged kicking and screaming to oppose the tories but here we are once more with people saying there's little between the two parties. Mm. And that's not to say the entire parliamentary Labour Party are bad. There are some brilliant examples of how great Labour can be. Outspoken critics of the party leadership, like the No Holding Back team that I mentioned earlier, Ian Labour and John Trickett. The Right to Food campaign, which has been spreading across the country, which has been spearheaded by the Liverpool MP Ian Byrne. 
Um, great upcoming um, younger members of the party that are uh, in Parliament, like Bel Ribeiro Adi or Zara Sultana or Absana Begum, and and there's more, but they are sadly in a in a massive minority. And we had a chance with Corbyn to set Labour on a better direction, and the party machine sabotaged that from within. It's very hard to see Labour ever getting back to that point. And I say that as a member, still hanging in there by my fingertips. Mm. The abandonment of important issues and the people the party is supposed to represent has allowed others to fill that void, like that Northern Independence Party. And, uh, you know, those elements of the party who are worth their salt need to act more, in my opinion, I think. The left wingers, the socialist campaign group of Labour MPs, are too quiet. Um, and, you know, as I said, I, I'm expecting the right wing of the party to, to bring the knives out for Keir Starmer when he fails in May. But it would be so much better if, if it was the socialist campaign group speaking, speaking out and come May, come the local elections, if we have a fall, that they speak out first, they act first and say he's got to go. Um, because the damage is just being done over and over. And I, Do you I think that's like a really realistic kind of, possibility? Like he's... Kind of, He's been it. Do you see that as a really realistic possibility? Because he has only been in power for a year. I mean, I'm I'm skeptical that they would be happy to ditch him that quickly. But I mean, maybe you feel differently. I think the damage he's done has been on such a huge scale and in such a small amount of time. Um, it, it's crazy how quickly he just came for the left and the decisions that he's made to suspend and purge and you know, appointing a, a general secretary who's who's basically acted um, of his own volition um, without any semblance of uh, being reined in at all with an NEC election that we had there where they changed the uh, the way they count the the ballots so they got more right wingers onto the NEC and that's made the NEC um, largely more and more powerless I, 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 from from my perspective in being able to hold Starmer to account. He just seems like he's on a hiding to nowhere. And as much as I don't like to, to point at polls repeatedly to say that, you know, you can see that they're slipping in the polls and, you know, 13 points behind in a recent uh, poll in a uh, conservation uh, poll, I think it was. Um, when you're that far behind, this government, after the way they've screwed up and mismanaged the COVID crisis, should be telling the leadership something that they are so far off the mark. They're so far away from the public mood, not just Labour members or left-wing moves, it's so far away from the moods of the general public that they're still prepared to back the Conservatives, to back Johnson after all the damage he's done because they just see nothing in Starmer. One of the biggest problems Starmer has got, and it's something that gets raised about him time and again, is that nobody knows what he stands for. The general public is saying that, but so are Labour members. I mean, it's definitely a, something that I've seen talked about. There, the, I've seen everything accusing him from being just a Tory in red to being, the, I've seen the articles from like the Express and stuff accusing him of being um, a hardcore Marxist, and uh, which I always laugh at. It's amazing. I'm like, look, man, I know There's some hardcore Marxists. Some of these papers are. Yeah, I like I I I like I know some hardcore Marxists. Like Keir Starmer is not one of them. <laughs> no. No. Uh, so there's there's one there's one kind of final thing I'm I'm curious to to pick your brain on. Um there's 
there's an idea that's kind of increasingly being raised, um, at least in some things that I'm reading, in that that essentially, and I kind of touched on it earlier as well, that that we are being played off against one another, essentially, in this this left-right divide that the, the media um, online and, and print media are, are stirring up like a like a fake culture war essentially in, so that we are more concerned fighting and arguing each other over tiny little semantic issues rather than challenging the wealthy and powerful uh, elite that that really have the the yeah that have benefited from the from the way the british political system has been set up as as far back as as anyone can remember uh do you find that to be something that 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 you see happening or do you think that's kind of like obf uh, obfuscation I think that's the the mainstream media outlets possibly trying to um, play down and undermine the influence of left wing media, um, alternative media online mainly because we're talking about issues that they aren't talking about and they seem to think, well, the only issues we're talking about and the way we're talking about them is the only thing that people need to know. I mean, I've interviewed recently people from disabled people against cuts because although in the mainstream news you are talking they are they're talking a lot about the say the 20 pound uplift for universal credit claimants the fact that people who are still on the legacy benefit claim uh, system which includes most long-term sick and disabled people and they haven't had any uplift whatsoever throughout the entire pandemic crisis uh has not been talked about so i got people from dpac on to talk to me about people like that I've got uh, people who are uh, from Excluded UK I'm speaking to on Sunday who are uh, representing people who have also been uh, left out of the Conservative support um, for uh, throughout this pandemic. Um, I've got uh, another show coming up beginning of this week, I've got an extra show this week, which is uh, with Shield Us, um, who um, are going to come on and talk to me about the issues surrounding the um, shielding of clinically vulnerable and clinically extremely vulnerable people uh, no longer have been covered by shielding legislation because that ends on the 31st of May, uh, of March even. Uh, these are topics that the mainstream media have not covered at all, and these are important topics and yes sure and maybe it's only a small number of people that this matches to but it matches to them a heck of a lot somebody needs to cover these stories and if the mainstream isn't going to then certainly alternative media is going to and these are the shows that i love doing the most because i love to, to platform somebody who otherwise is getting ignored because for too long voices like mine working class voices have been ignored and it's happening again in the labor party now and that's why we need to keep challenging that and it's not a it's it's not a, a petty minded discourse to to chip away at it it's not an obfuscation or a uh you know trying to smear the uh the 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 other important issues that are going on of course we need to talk about you know the covid pandemic and the effects of brexit as well um but you know there's a, there's a whole wealth of of topics that need to be covered and to say that some are worth paying attention to and others imply that they're not is is petty minded on behalf of a media which especially when you talk about print media and its print sales are dropping quarter after quarter after quarter and is essentially dying out and they're having to compete more and more for online audiences for their news mm. i think they're seeing us more and more of a threat and the more outlets like socialist telly like evolve like canary that are out there the better because the more informed the more widespread breadth of 
information is going to be out there for people to take their news from. And the better uh, informed, the more varied information that is out there for people to, to draw opinions from and get their view of the world from, I think is all the better for, uh, for news and for politics in this country going forwards. And long may that continue. Well, that that's a very positive note on which to end things, man. That 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 seems good. That seems like a, a nice place to finish. Uh, is there anything you want to plug? Uh, finally, just uh, where can people find your stuff and and read or watch you? Uh, well, I have uh, my Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Cornish Demo. Uh, Twitter is at Cornish underscore Demo. Uh, I'm on Instagram now as well. Still relatively small on that. My YouTube channel is out there, Cornish Demo. And uh, I'm currently running a Patreon as well, patreon.com forward slash Cornish underscore Demo, because frankly, as I said, there's no money in socialist telly. The only, the only income that any of us get, um, either those of us that are able to work, obviously work, but for those of us like me, unpaid carer, it's the only income that I, uh, I generate from, from what I do. So uh, the more support I get for that, the more programming I can obviously uh, produce. And I'm sure you can, you can relate to that with yeah. uh with your show as well on the gist yeah um and please absolutely tune into socialist tally there's me there's many more hosts as well we cover a whole wealth of subject matter there's a show on every single day tune into socialist telly on facebook uh at socialist telly on twitter and socialist telly on youtube as well and no doubt we'll be coming to more platforms that way at some point in the future Okay, fantastic. Thanks for having I, me on the gist. It's been yeah. lovely to be on the other side of the fence for a change. Yeah, no problem, man. I'll stick all the links for that stuff in the description below as well if people want to check it out. But um, yeah, man, thanks very much. Pleasure. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, follow me on Twitter, or sign up to our mailing list. Thanks a lot to our sponsor, ExpressVPN, the number one most trusted VPN. Get lightning-fast connectivity, with servers in 160 locations across 94 countries. Keep your browsing privacy safe with ExpressVPN and get a 35% discount on 12 months of ExpressVPN when you follow the link in the description below. Don't forget my book is now out and available to order on Amazon and on bookshop.org. That's Brexit, the Establishment Civil War. And most importantly, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.